All right, race fans, happy Easter. Hopefully everybody had a good Easter this past weekend with their with their loved ones, their family, their friends, and a little bit of racing racing on Easter, Bert. I, I was kind of surprised to see a NASCAR race on Easter. We'll talk a little bit more about that. But how was your Easter? How was your weekend? Uh, do anything fun this week? Uh, well, my Easter was good. Uh, well, my weekend got started a little early because I went to the uh, Brewers home opener in Milwaukee last Thursday. So I uh, got to see a, a Brewers victory. And uh, so, yes, I do like more than just racing. <laughs> <laughs> you're a fan. You're, you're a sports guy. I'm, I'm wearing my wild stuff right now. Hopefully they can continue to play pretty good hockey into the postseason. We'll see how that goes. Puka's our, our expert hockey person. He's going to be back here soon. I talked to him. He says, uh, give me another week or so, kind of a little transition in life, but he's going to jump back on the show. Looking forward to having him back. It's going to be a lot of fun. But Bert, episode number 125, of course, brought to you by our friends over at Dirt Track Supply, Watertown, South Dakota, uh, Ron and Trevor Anderson. Those guys have done a lot for racing. They've done a lot in racing, home of the Aero Chassis, the go-to place in South Dakota, Western Minnesota for all your parts, fabricating needs, you name it. And uh, racing season is going to start at some point up here. It's going to start. Mother Nature can't win every single week. They're going to start. So get a hold of those guys, get the parts you need, and they'll take good care of you. They continue to do so. So Dirt Track Supply, Watertown, South Dakota. But uh, let's start out with a little bit more tire stuff, right? You know, we talked last week, Bert, that last few weeks, kind of the big story in dirt racing right now, in all honesty, tires, tires, right? Days of Thunder, tires is what wins the race, right? You got to have tires. Steve Baker at M West Racing, he said, the car only connects to the ground in four spots, sometimes three, right? But tires, you got to have tires. Have you heard anything in your neck of the woods, any drama? Have you heard anything on tires over in your area or pretty quiet over there on in your regards? Um, I mean, I haven't heard a lot. Uh, I was talking to a drive, late model driver this weekend, and, uh, and he said, yeah, I mean, tires are not easy to come by. Um, you know, there's uh, limits on as to how many you can buy and, and that sort of thing. And I did see on Facebook today that uh, American Racer, uh, they posted that uh, they had anticipated, you know, at the end of last year, they had anticipated that uh, the shortage this year would be as bad as last year, if not worse. And, uh, and uh, their letter confirmed that uh, it, it's not good out there because uh, um, the raw materials to make the tires, it, it, they said, is is in short supply like uh the mesh that uh the fabric mesh that they use for the tires that's in short supply and uh, you know it's just not a good situation <laughs> yeah and, and who knows where they get that stuff from right i mean maybe if they're getting that from china or i i don't know i have no idea yeah, where they i have no idea materials from i also saw some banter on the american racer side of things saying that it wasn't as big of a deal for their mod tires like the USRA and USMPS use. It didn't sound like that was being as affected as like all the rest of the American racers. So that's just something I read. I don't know the details there, but I got a question for you, right? Why for most of these classes, I'm talking pure stocks and street stocks for sure, but even B mods, super stocks, 
modifies. Do we need so-called racing tires, right? You know, thinking about it, we got we got a tire shortage. And let's face it, the way economics works, it's supply and demand, right? So you, you, you can be limited. And the fact of the matter is, with the economy right now and a lot of other places with Hoosiers increasing their costs drastically, they're getting their tires first. Let's just be honest, right? That That is happening. So with soda is kind of down on the back burner down here because they're locked into a price. Now, I would love, Bert, I would love to see somebody say, you know what, screw it. We're going to go test it. And they're going to go find some street radials, right? Maybe a performance tire. I'm not talking the $250 street radials. I'm talking like something under 100 bucks. Because I'm here to tell you that I street stocks forever, forever raced on stock tires. That's what they raced. It wasn't a big deal. The racing was just as good then. So why not go back to that? Super stock drivers are out there going, I talked to a few, they're like, wow, we don't want to run street tires. Why not? Why? $130. Yeah, exactly. $135 (laughs) for the piece of shit that you get right now from Hoosier that lasts one night, maybe two, and then it's no longer as competitive as a new tire. It's not like you, it's not like they're on a great tire. Let's just be honest, right? I think we all agree that the now the Wasota Hoosier way better than the IMCA G60. I would be willing to bet you could take a street tire and probably compete with an IMCA G60. Probably be better, right? So we it's not like they have a horrible tire comparison wise. Some people like the American Racer better. Some like the Goodyear. Some like the Hoosier. Some like the UMP Hoosier. It don't matter, right? Why not do some testing, right? Why not take get some tires, go out there and actually test it to see how the car performs, how it turns. And if everybody's on the same playing field, that might be an option because it's a hell of a lot better than the option we have now. The option we have right now is everybody gets two. And this, this place over here, maybe you can get three. This place here, maybe you can get one, just depending on how many the vendors get. The vendors are in a bad spot. They really are. They're, they're actually in as bad of a spot and sometimes maybe a little worse than the racer, right? Because the vendors are the one getting their asses chewed by people that maybe, you know, have that little bit of an addiction. I need tires, right? It's kind of like, it's kind of like a math addict, right? They're kind of like, oh, they, they need that math. Well, that's how the racers are going to be with tires. Like I need tires. And they start yelling at the tire uh, vendors that are, they, they can only distribute what they have. So why not do some testing and see if there's something out there that could perform? Because I'm here to tell you that a street tire, you don't run literally. When's the last time you took your car, Bert, and drove, oh, I don't know, 40 miles, right? 50 miles and changed tires because the car just didn't, you, you drove in the ditch, couldn't turn anymore. The car slid around. You came in the corner, the ascent came out from underneath you. I mean, is that about what you get on your streetcar, 40, 50 miles, somewhere in that neighborhood, and then you change them? About. <laughs> so with that said, that's what we get on, on a dirt tire, right? The dirt tires today, and maybe maybe we were just not as educated back in the day. I don't know. But I remember I was talking to my buddy, John Party. And we were talking about the Hoosiers we used to run back in the day in Superstocks. They had a hard boss, uh, Dirt Boss and the Super Boss, three compounds of tires. Bert, I literally, literally remember getting a cut in the sidewall on those tires 
and the tires were so good that you could keep running them, or at least we thought they were, we'd bring them to Firestone and Hibbing. They would actually patch, vulcanize the, the side of the tire, and we'd put it on. We'd run it for another couple of weeks. Now, most people weren't buying new tires then, so maybe a new tire then was probably better as well. Maybe we just didn't know better. I don't really know, but it seemed like those tires, you could run them a lot longer and they'd perform longer. The tires that we have now, one night, two nights, in a modified, one night on a right rear, you get some pretty good heat in that. You're probably gonna want a new one the next night on a right rear, you're gonna be forced to run them a little longer. So why not? What is your thoughts? Why not look at an alternative like just stock performance radials of some kind and see if there's something out there that some of these classes can use? What, what is your thoughts on that? Well, I mean, if there's going to be a shortage, I mean, you have to look at alternatives. I mean, because the, if there's a shortage and then you don't want, want to run a stock tire, if that's one of the alternatives, the other alternative is you don't race because you don't have tires. So, um, you know, if, if, there, if the shortage is going to be that bad, all tracks and racing organizations have to look at all options and, and, you know, do what they have to do to keep drivers on the track. Well, let's go one step further, right? Let's assume that the shortage goes away and tires are now readily available. Bert, it's $135 roughly out the door after tax for a tire for a modified super stock, Midwest mod, street stock, all of that, 135. And in most cases, right, you can kind of average one tire per night. Um, a lot of guys put brand new rears on, maybe three tires every night. Some people get in a cycle of maybe every two or three nights they put on tires. The fact of the matter is, I don't know about your area, but I know like in Northern Minnesota, people don't have money just falling out of their pockets, right? The cost of everything has gone up. Fuel costs, inflation is at, at record highs, right? And inflation, it's just crazy, right? Thanks, Joe. And uh, the fact of the matter <laughs> is, oh, better not get into politics. Your dad's going to get mad. Sorry, dad. Sorry. So, but the fact of the matter is inflation is, is killing it. So even if tires are available, how many people can afford to keep doing what they're doing, spending the amount of money they're spending? They, they just can't do it, right? Racing is supposed to be fun, a hobby. Some, some are more passionate about it than others, right? Some are like ultra competitive and they're going to do everything they can to win. Some are a little bit more like, hey, we want to have fun if we want run good, great. And, and you got to have everybody. You got to have everybody in that, right? But the fact of the matter is, it literally costs you, if you have to drive, say, an hour, right? Maybe not the track you live in, in your hometown, but if you got to drive an hour with a couple pit guys, you can basically assume that it costs $500 to unload your race car. $500, right? Because you have a tire, you have either methanol or race gas, you got pit passes, you got fuel to and from the track you got generator gas right you have tear-offs when if they water the track like bristol did right that rain did that but tear-offs right you have them they're a buck a piece for tear-offs or a buck a piece um you take oil changes most people change oil every four nights right so that's got to be a hundred and twenty five dollars so you're looking at 40 bucks a night 30 40 bucks a night there you take your engine you, you start adding up all the costs it's 500 bucks a night you know what it pays most tracks to win for a modified? Five, 500, 
450, somewhere in that neighborhood. So you can win and not even come out ahead. Okay. Now people are okay with that if they're having a good time because racing is supposed to be fun. There's a lot of there's a lot of value because you can, like Kenny Wallace said, you can go to the lake, you can buy a fifty thousand dollar boat, you ain't getting any money. It just ain't getting paid back, right? So in racing, you're getting some kind of return. So you just got to look at it. You're spending money for entertainment. But the fact of the matter is, <clears throat> if it's if it's costing you that kind of money, that's got to be looked at, right? And I think back to a track like, say, Bemidji, okay? Bemidji grassroots. And, and people listening to the show, I'll be honest with you. People listening to the show, they're going to be like, Bemidji's no freaking Cedar Lake. It's no, it's no I-94 as far as overall racing. But the culture is better, right? Because they put focus on the grassroots cars that people can actually afford to race. And now they have more youth movement. They got more culture. They got more fun. And guess what? They spend less money. Maybe, maybe that's an answer. I don't know. But looking at that, right, here's, a, here's, here's one way to reduce the cost of tires, okay? So in Wissota, there's a couple things going on right now. If you're a Wissota track, if you're a promoter, and you're listening to this, you know what I'm talking about. At the end of the year, Bert, they get X amount of dollars. I believe it's $1,500 per Wissota sanctioned class. And you have to have at least 10 shows in that class schedule to get that. It's called Hoosier money. So at the end of the year, you know, some tracks that have four classes, they might get a check for $6,000 from Hoosier, right? Well, where does that money come from? Racers. The racers, right, right. You know, DTRA came around. They had the Goodyear deal going on, and that's when Hoosier stepped in and said, "Hey, we'll throw some money at the tracks if you stay with Soda." That's how that all came about. Well, guess what? The tire cost had to go up. The money had to come from somewhere, right? Hoosier wasn't going to say, "Well, we're just perfectly okay making less money." No, <laughs> no, that that didn't happen, right? So they they raised the cost. So essentially, the drivers are paying that Hoosier money to the track. Did you notice that Hoosier also is a sponsor of several different sanctions, including Wissota, right? They sponsor, they advertise, they're a marketing partner with Wissota. So I don't know the dollar amount, but I'm going to assume they give Wissota a pretty fair chunk of money to go towards their annual point fund. Can we agree to that? They do that in a lot of different cases. Where does that money come from? The racers. The drivers, right? So in my opinion, the first thing that needs to happen, okay, take the tire shortage out of the equation because at some point we're going to get back to having tires, okay? But I truly believe that sanctioning bodies like Wasoda need to completely cut ties with all sponsorship activities with Hoosier with the understanding that you take the total dollar amount that Hoosier tire cuts towards an organization and then you figure out how many tires are sold they have these numbers and you kind of look at the math i'm just i don't i don't know the numbers for sure but let's say that it all equals out to twenty dollars per tire i think they'd be better served to just eliminate the point fund stuff right they can get sponsors elsewhere and reduce the cost of the tires by twenty dollars a tire the people like I'll use Shane Sobraski as an example because he's always running, you know, for national championships and he buys more tires than most. Well, guess what? It's going to equal itself out because they're still going to find a way to pay the points fund. 
they'll have to go get new sponsors or whatever. But now if he's, if he buys, I don't even know how many tires he bought. I know when I race for national championships, Bert, I bought a, over a hundred tires a year. Cause I ran 98 shows was the most I ran. I was up into the nineties, about over a hundred tires a year. Well, you start reducing the cost of tires by say 20 bucks a tire. That's two grand. That, that's it's, it's just better for everybody. And how many people out there actually get a point five check, right? Percentage wise, 10%, maybe. Yeah, I know. yeah, 90% of the drivers, if you look at the, if you look at the numbers, right? 90% of the drivers don't run a, any tracks every night and they don't race for national points. So the vast majority of drivers don't even get a point fund check. So if they just eliminate that part of it, reduce the cost of tires, that's going to be better for everybody. That is something I think with soda really needs to take a look at. They also need to take a look at other alternatives, maybe not just racing tires, but some street radios in some classes. I think that could be a win-win for everybody. So Bert, let's jump into a blast to the past brought to you by Impact Health Sharing. So self-employed people, farmers, truckers, I mean, anybody paying for their own health care, hit me up. Get, you know, say if you need a quote, if you're paying too much, I can get you a quote. I can't promise you nothing, but I might be able to help save you some money. I've saved a lot of people thousands of dollars a year just by switching over healthcare. It's great coverage and you can go anywhere in the country. You can go to any doctor. There's no in-network. So just go ahead and shoot me a message, a text, whatever you want to do. See if I can help you out. But uh, number 125, Bert. I don't think either one of us have a 125, do no, we? I, we I do not have a 125. So drivers, there you go. Somebody's <laughs> going to have to come up with the 125 this year. So we have something to talk about next year when we get to 225, right? Well, a couple of years, I guess it'd be from now, right? So number 25. I know we have one that's the same, but I'll let you start, Bert. Who do you have as far as number 25? Uh, for, well, from Eastern Wisconsin, I'm going back into the 1980s for this one. Um, started in the sportsman class and then race late models at Shano Speedway and, and Seymour Trioval. Uh, Art Seifert and um, the, that last name may sound familiar, because that is Jared Seifert's father. Oh, no kidding. Okay. Yes. okay. So, I was going to uh, ask that. I was going to ask so, that. Yes. Art, Art was number 25. And Jared, he's, he's number 66. But when he started racing late models, he switched his number to 25. And, you know, because Ron Berna is number 66 in the late models. So he didn't want to infringe on, on, you know, that number. So he went back to his, you know family number so to say so to speak and uh so he was number jared was number 25 racing a late model uh, another 25 and this is in the modified imt modified division he did race late models last year uh paul thorpe and uh he's probably best known at shano speedway um for claiming engines in the imca modified division when imca still had a claimer in the modified division um uh paul thorpe would would claim at least a few every year <laughs> nice nice so if you're a paul thorpe fan it's burt lehman -E i'm just i'm just stating the facts 
<laughs> hey, that that was the rule though, right? Yeah. I mean, I don't know if yeah. that's good. That I mean, now I mean, people are spending so much on motors, comparatively speaking. But you know, IMCA was well known for that. I mean, it really was the International Motor Claiming Association, right? That's what well, they I mean. It. When when motor claiming and the modifieds and the stock car division uh, was at its height, I mean, part of the excitement for those feature races was to see if more than four cars were going to go to the claim area. <laughs> right. Yeah. We, we had the same thing in Wasoda. I remember, I remember seeing some stuff go on, you know, up in the Northland with claiming motors and it created some rivalries and a little bit of bad blood, but maybe it worked, maybe it didn't. That's debatable depending on who you talk to. That was a little bit before my time. I'm glad I didn't get any engines. Claimed. I can tell you that because I couldn't have afforded to replace them if I did, but uh, interesting. Does he still race? Yeah, well, he raced late models last year. Oh, it's okay. At, okay. At Channel Speedway. So, so yeah. Right. So, yeah, he, he's still racing. <laughs> Who else you got? Uh, that's all that I have from Eastern Wisconsin. I know you got somebody from Central Wisconsin because we yeah. have the same guy, I believe Spencer, and he would have been like yeah. a Marshfield guy with the 25 Kerry Hansen. And, and quite honestly, I didn't, I saw him race a handful of times, you know, Cedar Lake. Um, probably at the Punky, you know, so I've seen him at various different shows. I just don't have a lot of, I don't remember much about him, but I, I know you mentioned that you might have a story, um, something that you remember about Kerry Hansen. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, I seen him race, you know, when I was on MJ's crew, um, you know, whenever we went to Marshfield to race, you know, obviously Kerry Hansen was there racing. So I remember watching him race at Marshfield and yeah, he, he'd be at the Punky. But the first time I ever saw Kerry Hansen race uh, was in the mid eighties. I don't know, probably like 1984, 85, somewhere in that range. So I would have been 14, around 14 years old. I had no idea who he was, obviously, um, you know, because he didn't race at Shano weekly, but uh, there was a race at Shano Speedway. And I, I don't know the details of it, all I know that is that whoever won this race qualified to race in a race down in Tennessee. And uh, Kerry Hansen came to Shano Speedway to race in that race. And uh, he wound up winning, if my memory is correct, he won that race at Shano Speedway to qualify for a race down in Tennessee. Nice, super cool. So, so fans, if you're watching the show now, if you're listening to the show on podcast, obviously you ain't going to be commenting on Facebook, but jump on the Facebook, maybe throw a comment in there. Any of these drivers, Bert mentioned, Carrie Hansen. I'm going to mention some drivers. If you have a favorite story about these racers, share it, post some pictures. We enjoy that, right? I love the nostalgia, the old school stuff. The one thing I remember about Carrie Hansen is he had some really sharp looking race cars. I remember yeah. he had some very good looking cars. And I actually, back in school, I might've drawn his car a couple of times. Cause I remember he had a kind of a unique, you know, the inside of the number, the way it was hand painted. Well, so, I was, and cool. was going to say, cause he was, you know, obviously number 25, but everything in the number was straight. You know, he yep. didn't have any, any curves. It, he just used straight lines for, for both the two and the five. Yeah, and then I felt like he had like a prism deal kind of painted inside. Um, I, I'd have to look back at some of the pictures, but he had some really sharp looking stuff. Now I have a guy from 
out in the Western. He's IMCA now, but smoking Hank Berry from Sydney, Montana. And he used to come over to the Labor Day shootout. In fact, he won the 2000 Labor Day shootout at the Hibbing Raceway in the Wasota Late Model. Double duty guy. I remember seeing him at the Jamestown Stampede every time I went out there. Always had a mod, always had a late model. A lot of his cars were blue and yellow, so that was my favorite. That's why I liked him. Plus, he was from Montana. That's where my mom's from. But smoking Hank Berry, a guy still getting after it out there a little bit. And uh, hopefully one day, maybe he can make a nostalgia trip back over this way. But I think he's kind of in the IMCA stuff now, so I'm not sure we'll see that. Another guy I have, another guy from Wisconsin, Artie Hyde. So Artie Hyde was from the Ashland area. I'm not exactly sure what town. And I know he ran for quite a while, probably multiple different classes. But I remember racing against him in a super stock. And I'll never forget it. We're in uh, Proctor one night. And he ran pretty good, actually. But <clears throat> Jason Bowman, a good buddy of mine, I'd kind of helped him. He bought my old car. I think he broke an axle at the end of the, it would have been at the end of the back straightaway. He broke, he, no, he did, he broke something. He broke something in the left rear and Artie Hyde hit him wide open in the left rear. And I feel like it like ripped the left rear tire and stuff right off of Jason's car. It was like all underneath yellow. I don't know if he, what happened there, but it was absolutely crazy. But uh, Artie Hyde, I don't know if he still races. I don't think he does. But uh, his family was involved with racing for quite a while up at the ABC Raceway. Another guy, the number 25 as a kid, and I don't have a lot of stories. So fans, if you got stories about this guy, share them, right? But have you ever heard of Ken Melanson? No, I haven't. So Ken Melanson was from up in the Duluth area, Hermantown, I believe. They had Melanson's service, I believe. His dad, Marv uh, Melanson, he raced prior to him. But Ken Melanson was number 25, and um, I remember him in the late model division. He raced a lot of stuff, like, before my time as well. And then he transitioned, and he ran some sprint car stuff there at the end. And I think that's the last thing he drove was a sprint car. But Ken Melanson is a guy that I got pictures. If you go on the 2020 Racing History page, there's a ton of Ken Melanson pictures, right? And he used to go up to the Riverview Raceway in Thunder Bay every year for their fall invitational. And just a guy that was around racing. He still makes it over there once in a while. And I know he sponsored some cars, but Ken Melanson, a name in the twin ports that was, I tell you, he, he was around for a long time. Another guy I have, uh, our, our friend of the show that uh, he's, he's in our, in our pickums. Michael probably know a little bit about this guy, Toby Patchen. So I remember, remember I mentioned his brother, Jeff Patchen, Toby was number 25. And uh, I believe he's running, I think he's running a mod now. I don't know if he's still racing. He might've kind of hung up the steering wheel. Last I knew he was either in a B mod or an A mod kind of running Princeton. He had a stint in late models. Um, he was doing a deal called the B lister or something like that on Facebook every once in a while, kind of having some fun, kind of a, probably a more PG version of hot Carl, right? So he kind of had his, his own thing going on there, but the patch and family around the Princeton area, I mean, they, that's, it's a staple there. They've been racing the Princeton Speedway, Central Minnesota for a long time. Um, I believe his dad, I think Tony, he raced. And then there was the three brothers that raced, but Toby Patchen in the 25. And <clears throat> the last one I have, I don't, I've heard this name. I've heard, I've heard multiple times that this guy won a lot of races back in the day. Bill Shannon 
a Hall of Famer at the Hibbing Raceway, probably going to be in at the Grand Rapids Speedway. But that would have been my dad's era of racing, uh, maybe even before that. But Billy Shannon, if, if somebody's got stories about these guys, man, we would absolutely love for you to post pictures, post in the comments, share some stories. If you have other 25s, get us some information there as well. We just love this part of the show. So, Bert, uh, with that said, let's jump into the national recap. Um, this past weekend, Easter weekend, there's quite a bit of racing. In, in all reality, there's quite a bit of racing. But the recap brought to you by our friend, uh, friend Brad Parson. Brad, a late model driver, kind of had a little stint. He might, he might be transitioning. We'll see. I'm trying to talk him into getting in a different class. But uh, we got to do business with people in the racing community. So farmers, if you're out in the Dakotas, North and South Dakota, Western Minnesota, the snow is going to melt sooner or later so you can get your crops in the ground. Get a hold of Brad. His number's right here on the screen. You know, he's got products that you can use to increase your yields and increase your profitability. And I give him a shot, right? He's done the homework and he's had a, talked to a lot of farmers with good results. And the thing that I'll say is this, you don't have to plant your whole field, right? But just give him a shot, get the data, see if it's something that can help you because with the inflation that we have and the cost of everything, if you can, if you can cut some costs, if you can be more profitable that way, it's going to help your bottom line. So give Brad Parson a call. I want to thank him for coming on again, but uh, let's talk. Uh, let's start with Bristol. Let's start with Bristol. I know all of our dirt fans, Bert, probably are pissed off, but it was dirt. So we can talk about wow. it. Right. But wow. there's... <laughs> go ahead. I was just, I'm I'm just going to say, I'm going to give out a donkey award. Oh, <laughs> yeah, baby. Let's have it. Come on. For everybody who is complaining about the race and how bad NASCAR is and they, should, they shouldn't be racing on the dirt at Bristol, this and that, there was a boring race, blah, blah, blah. If that's what you think, NASCAR is never going to do anything that's going to make you happy. Um, so, I mean, you, you just want to complain about NASCAR. That's all you want to do. So, I mean, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, Bert Lehman giving out a donkey award. And, and you're spot on. I couldn't agree more because, you know, everyone, most of us on here are like, man, I, I prefer a good dirt race, a traditional dirt race to NASCAR. I got to be honest. I got to be, I was highly entertained. Um, I thought it was fantastic from beginning to end. I watched all the truck heats and the truck race. I watched all the cup heats and the cup feature, the, I guess, feature main event, you know, whatever you want to call it. I watched it all um, highly entertained. And the truck race kind of looking at some notes here. Did you watch the trucks? I didn't watch the trucks. Uh, I forgot. I wasn't home and then, and I didn't realize they were on and I forgot to tape it. And I don't know. I, I, the only reason I watched the trucks, right, is because I was driving. I shouldn't be driving and watching stuff, but I was, <laughs> right? So if you're driving and watching the uh, show, be careful, please, right? But uh, I figured out what the heck. I'm driving. I just put the phone up to the side and good broadcast. But Ben Rhodes, he swept the whole deal. He won stage one, stage two, and the main event. And man, he chucked a hell of slider. This one cleared, unlike the one we're going to talk about in the cup, but he chucked a big slider with four to go up on the wheel. Impressive. I mean, it was, it was good racing. And uh, in the cup race, 
uh, of course, Bert's favorite driver, Kyle Busch. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just don't see him being your guy. Is, is it- I mean, he, he's not my favorite driver. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't have a problem with them as much as some people do. But yeah, I mean, I, I don't necessarily... Um, I mean, I don't root for him and I would prefer if somebody else win, but it is what right. it is. <laughs> so, I mean, unless you live under a rock, right? Everybody knows the story. Kyle <laughs> Busch won, but Tyler Reddick had it probably locked up. We'll talk a little bit more about that in a second. And on the last lap, Chase Briscoe, who came from the back a couple different times, he buried it in there. I mean, he poured it in there. And then he realized he wasn't going to make it. So he kind of yawed the car, got sideways, right rear, got into Reddick, spun them both out. Tyler Reddick still, I know, still <laughs> won the race, still just about won it. But uh, <laughs> Kyle Bush got it done. And there, I just loved the interview with Kyle Bush, right? Because, I mean, he's a showman. Love him or hate him, he's polarizing, right? He's very polarizing. But the whole place is booing, right? Just boobers. I mean, just crazy. And he's like, I feel like Earnhardt. He goes, I didn't even do anything this time. <laughs> like, literally, like, I had nothing to do with nothing. He was three seconds back or whatever, and he got the win, and they just booed the heck out of him. And he had comments on dirt racing. I didn't take that as he was knocking dirt racing. I took that as he saw good racing, and he thought maybe late models would be better. I got to disagree on that half mile. I think the cop cars were better. I thought the trucks... Wow. Well, that's that's one of the comments that I was going to make was I would rather watch the NASCAR cars race on dirt on in Bristol than the late model than super late models race on the dirt in Bristol. I mean, Absolutely. the NASCAR race was much more entertaining than the super late model races that were held there. Yeah, I, I agree. So so we kind of know that what happened. We know the story. We know who won. Give, just give me your take. First of all, if you had to rate it, you know, on a on an A grade, you know, and we know that we know that Nick Annabelink's like a CC plus. So, <laughs> um, what grade would you give the the event at Bristol, the the Cup, the NASCAR event? I would give it an A. I mean, I, I mean, it was they they actually got some tack in the track, so it wasn't asphalt before they even started. So, I mean, that made it an inner entertaining race. It kind of reminded me of um, the IMCA stock cars racing, you know, because they're, you know, door, door handle to door handle, um, you know, they're rubbing, you know, rubbing's racing, you know, they're pushing around, pushing a little bit. And uh, I mean, I just think it was, uh, it was an entertaining race. Uh, it was, you know, I sat down in the recliner and, you know, I watched the entire thing. I you know, normally for for a NASCAR race, I'm doing other things, and then I tune in for the last you know 15 laps or so. Uh, yep. But this one, you know, I I watched the entire thing, and I thought that uh, um, you know Clint Boyer being one of the announcers was great because he he knows about dirt racing, he knows the terminology, he knows uh, you know what the cars are going to do. I mean uh dw asked him one time he goes clint do you do you apply the brakes when you go into the corners or do you just let the car float into the corners and boyer responded brakes never help you win races (laughs) (laughs) 
I, he did a great job, you know, I, and I was texting back and forth with Jeff Cross, John Tardy during the race. And we're kind of like, what do you think? Where would you grade it? That at first I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'd probably give it a B plus, but man, I have to kind of looking back at it and watching it and everything. I'd have a hard time. I mean, I think the worst I'd give it is an A minus, but I, I'm going to give it somewhere in an A grade myself, not just because of the racing. I thought the racing was good. But the the broadcast was fantastic. I mean, it's I mean they do such a tremendous job with the overall experience, the overall broadcast. And you know we you know we rip on NASCAR a lot, uh, but you got to give them credit because when the first rain came, I thought, okay, they lost the track, it's done, they're not racing anymore. And then they did get it packed back in, and they went out racing. And then the rain came again, and I thought, okay, they're done this time. But you know they 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 stuck with it and they got all the laps completed. I was impressed. I mean, I got to give them a huge A on that because how many times have we seen a dirt track to get a little bit of rain out? We're done. We can't get the track rolled in, but I noticed they had a tiller, some kind of a disc, yep. right? And this is a half mile track. This ain't no little quarter mile bull ring. It takes longer at a half mile than it does a quarter mile. Right. But the one thing I noticed is when the rain came, they weren't going to be able to pack it in. You can't just pack it on top of concrete. Right. So they went out and they kind of tilled it up, broke it up a little bit, which absorbed the moisture and yeah, it rolled yeah. right in. So dirt track people, if you're a promoter watching this show right now, unbelievable. That was super smart. They obviously had somebody preparing the track that knew what they were doing because they did a hell of a job. And the fact that now Tyler Reddick would disagree. Tyler Reddick, you know, right now, at first when the, the second rain happened, He's like, well, I kind of want to get back to racing. I bet right now he does not want to get back to racing, right? Because he had that one. That would have been his first win. That would have locked him into the playoffs at the end of the year. I mean, he handled it like a champ, but man, oh man, he was ultra disappointed. The other thing was a crowd, right? You know, I saw, you know, you have your Debbie numbers, you do, right? And they're like, oh yeah, it wasn't full. It wasn't like old school Bristol. It wasn't full. Compare that to the Bristol Dirt Nationals. I yep. mean, it's not even on the same stratosphere, right? It's like little league compared to major league baseball, right? Or T-ball compared to major. And, and the Bristol Dirt Nationals, as far as late models go, they had the best in the business, right? JD, Overton, B-Chef, Kyle Larson. They, they're all there. But regardless, Bert, of how much it pains me to say this, NASCAR is 10 times more popular across the country hundred times more popular than dirt racing it just is what it is you know there's nothing we can do about it and and let's be honest i i looked on facebook and all my dirt friends every one of them was tuned into the race you know that that was they had some good viewership for that event the like i said broadcast was great um what's your thoughts on the finish so on the finish here right uh they come down and basically took the white flag they go through one and two Chase Briscoe got right to Tyler Reddick and he was about a car length back getting into turn three and yard sails it in, right? And I've seen all kinds of stuff on Facebook, right? Oh, that was a bullshit move. I can't believe that he did that. He wasn't going to clear. That's just ridiculous. That's just dirty racing. I saw some people say, got to go for it. Got to go for it. You're trying to win the race. What, what's your thoughts? Uh, well, before I answer that, I just want to say one thing. You probably didn't see this because I didn't see it until right before we sat down to the record this. But uh, if uh, um, 
Kenny Wallace has a has a video on his Facebook page about um, uh, dirt fans and why they hate NASCAR, and it, it, it was a good listen. So, uh, you know, anybody, if you have some time and you want to hear him, you know, talk about and. I mean, Kenny Wallace is very knowledgeable because as, as he stated in the video, he's raced over a thousand races on asphalt and over a thousand races on the dirt. So, you know, he, he's raced both. So uh, if you have time, take a listen to that. Uh, but anyway, getting back to the finish of the race, um, I don't think it was dirty. I mean, he wasn't trying to spin him out. I mean, he was going in, he was trying to get by him and do, do a slider um, but, and he got about halfway through the slider and realized that, no, nope, this isn't gonna, this isn't gonna work. And, uh, yeah, I, I think he tried to spin it out to avoid hitting Reddick, but, uh, he wound up hitting Reddick and, um, you know, I, I think Bristol had the best car, uh, throughout the entire night, um, you know, he led the early portion and he had to go to the back because his grill filled up with mud and, you know, he worked his way through. Um, but, you know, he was going for a win and he already has a win on the season, so he could go for it, um, you know, and and not really worry about any points where, you know, Reddick, you know, he was trying to get that win to qualify for the, the championship run. Um, and you know, if he doesn't get that win, well then points are important to him because, you know, he's got to try to get in with points. So I, I felt really bad for Reddick, uh, but I kind of, um, I like him a little bit more now than I did before because he took it very gracefully. I mean, he actually was blaming himself and I don't, I mean, yes, you know, it would have been nice if he would have got further ahead but I mean you also got spun out so I mean it, it wasn't your it wasn't totally your fault that that you, you didn't win yeah he handled it well he did now he's half the size of Chase Briscoe maybe that had something to do with it uh, but Briscoe was quick to get over super quick to get over mm-hmm. there and say man I'm sorry like he you could tell he genuinely felt bad about the deal like he didn't I mean it is what it is but you know who I blame in that deal is is Mike Zimmer. Who's Mike Zimmer? Mike Zimmer was the head coach for the Vikings. Oh, and he lost his job. <laughs> and uh, from what I understand, he was the spotter for Tyler Reddick. And uh, just like the Vikings do all the time, they had a little bit of a lead, went into protect mode, and uh, it cost him. Right, so you know, he really wasn't there, but. It, it kind of reminded me of Vikings games. It's like he had it won. He he had several car length lead, car length lead, right? And he literally went into protect mode and lost himself the race, right? Absolutely, that is one hundred percent what happened. I remember Shane Sabraski doing that, Mod Nationals, I believe, and he had a crate motor in, had it won, literally had it won, and he pussied it in there on the last lap, and Mike Anderson drove by him didn't spin them out, cost them the race. You got to go for the jugular. You're winning, and you need to be, like, on the pump. That spotter, however that happened, the communication, Tyler Reddick was spot on. That was half his fault. He should not have been in that situation. He had a big enough lead in the closing laps to just keep the foot in the pump and not put yourself in that situation. 
dirt late model racing that happens all the time. You got Bobby Pierce behind you, right? Tyler Herb behind you, somebody like that, Devin Moran. You can't leave a slider open, World of Outlaw Sprint Cars. You can't leave a slider open. No, it wasn't a slider. It was contact. I get all that. I get all that. But you can't put yourself in that position, right? If you're, you gotta, you gotta go. You gotta go. You need to be trying to pass the next car, put lap cars in between you. I think Tyler Reddick probably learned something from that. He was humble in his, in his delivery at the end. Like, he's like, I shouldn't have been there. Um, you know, and like you said, I mean, he shouldn't have got drove over either. Right. So that's, that's that, but I, I see that side of it. And it's kind of funny because I was looking at Facebook, Bert, and uh, I got a question for you here. So I got a lot of people, a lot of my friends were Dale Earnhardt fans, right? This guy right here. My, was my favorite guy growing up. He wouldn't have thought twice about yard sale on somebody. Oh, right. <laughs> okay. So if you're a Dale Earnhardt fan and you're mad that Chase Briscoe got into the side of Tyler Reddick, what the hell are you talking about? Your favorite driver hit everything on the racetrack. He's my favorite driver too. So can you imagine? Well, that's, that's why I didn't like Dale Earnhardt. <laughs> <laughs> that's why i did right that's why i did he's my that's my guy but let me ask you this if dale earnhardt would have had been the intimidator the way he was and social media existed then the way it does now would he have been as popular or would he have been hated like kyle bush um I don't know if it would have, I mean, I don't know. That's a good question. Um, I mean, cause I mean, he had his haters, but he also had a, a following. So would he still have that following on social media? Uh, Kyle Bush is just kind of a jerk. So, um, <laughs> true, true. Right. um you know, so I don't know that, that that's a good question, but you know, and you know, this was a slide job that went wrong, but you know, how is, you know, it, and that's what you do on dirt. How is this any different than the bump and run that they do, uh, you know, when the track is asphalt, you know, it's the same, the same principle. <laughs> and, and it happens in dirt racing. It's just, it's just, it was just hard racing. A guy going for the win came up short, made a mistake, owned up to the mistake afterwards. And it is what it is that move on but it was exciting. I thought it was good for racing. I give it an A and I really hope that event happens again. The way that the way that the event went, the whole overall deal, I, I'm looking forward to that event again if they do it again next year. Have you heard anything? I haven't heard anything, which um, I mean, last year they made the announcement during the race that they were coming back. So right. the fact that we haven't heard anything yet has me a little bit leery that maybe they're not going to do it again um i mean there's a handful of drivers that were whining about having the race on dirt and stuff um and i did find it now that i i look back you know the announcers made the comment early on in the race if you look at the lineup all the young drivers are in the front all the old veterans are in the back and it's a lot of the veterans are the ones who are doing the whining. They don't, you know, they, 
they got that silver spoon in their mouth now because <laughs> they've raced in the series so long. <laughs> yeah, Har Harvick was struggle bus. He was not good. Denny Hamlin, not good. So let's jump on to some late model. First. There was multiple late model events. I'll just give a very quick recap, and then I'll just ask your overall thoughts on the weekend of late model racing. So Bulls Gap, Volunteer Speedway, Bulls Gap, Tennessee, Kyle Larson had his event early in the week last weekend, and uh, that was a pretty good pretty good turnout a uh, record crowd there um from what i understand and a record of viewership on flow mike marlar parked in victory lane good rebound because he had really rough luck at bristol um at the the final two races of the dirt nationals uh with speedway with tennessee about an hour away from there big big racetrack big half mile, big big half mile um jd was leading that race and Overton overtook him on the last corner and kept JD winless. Um, we'll talk about this in a second. Good race, good finish. I don't know, but uh, Overton parked in victory lane. Then they went to Taswell on, uh, I believe Saturday it was. They went to Taswell, uh, Bill Corum Memorial, 21,000 to win. Up on the wheel track, Chris Smokey Madden uh, made me a profit again. And Ricky Weiss with a great run, second. He was kind of there. Pretty decent racing over at Taswell and up on the wheel, kind of a fun track, aggressive high side, charge the corner deal. And then Florence, I think all I think all we can say about Florence Burt is Josh Rice is about unbeatable at that place. He's well, I, was, I, was, I was just going to say, if you're at a late model race in Florence and Josh Rice is in the race, you better pick him to win. Yeah, no doubt about it. So give me your overall thoughts on, any of the races, all the races, the late model action this past weekend, what stuck out to you? Um, I think probably, um, I mean, even though the last lap pass got propelled the, the interest in the, in the race at white, um, overall the race really wasn't, I don't think that track is conducive to a lot of passing. Um, and I mean, you take away that you take away Davenport and Overton and the pass at the end, and there's really nothing about that race that there's anything to talk about. <laughs> I gotta agree. And I'm going to ask you a question there, you know, cause I saw some people say, Oh my God, what a race, right? Because of the finish, right? Can a good finish basically erase all the thoughts about horrible race um it it can definitely help any racing that um i mean the last few laps were fun to watch between davenport and uh overton uh because you could tell overton was the fastest car it was just that track is hard to pass on right. and right. he was trying to it was kind of a cat and mouse game a little bit to figure out you know when do you make the pass now Davenport said that he had a tire going down the last few laps. So I don't know if that uh, played into it at all, but he did say his car was tight and he just couldn't keep it down um, on the bottom, you know, to, to block, to block Overton there at the end. Yeah. JD did say that. And, and that tells you right there, if his tire was going down and Overton still struggled to pass him, right? That tells you how hard it is. Brent Larson posted on social media, that the dirt race for the NASCAR was way better than like the late model racing on a big half mile. And he alluded to the fact that the late models on a big half mile like that 
He says, you can't get within 20 feet of the car ahead of you because it does funky stuff with the air, right? Takes the air off the nose and and it's almost undrivable. Very difficult to race. Maybe they just got to take away some of the downforce, take away some of the arrow for these late models on the big tracks. And don't get me wrong, I still like a bull ring better than a half mile, but maybe that would help because the NASCAR race was it was pretty good, you know, well, taking away from that grip. And one thing I I I made a mental note of this yesterday uh, during the race. Um, you know, the NASCAR cars can race up on the cushion up near the wall. The dirt late models can't go up there because it just seems like it's it's the distance is too much compared to racing in, in the low groove. The, the third night to the Bristol Dirt Nationals, so it would have been the Friday of the second week, the second half of the feature, the top finally started to come in where they could they were making some ground there. Um, but the other race is definitely not. The heat race is definitely not. And you're right, the NASCAR drivers were way better around the high side than the late models. So that was uh, – so another thing at Bulls Gap, I think what made that a good event for me is the overall broadcast, right? The racing, in my opinion, at Bulls Gap was not good. It was it was pretty slicked up. You know, they, they fought some weather, right? So they, they did what they had to do to get the show in. I, I didn't think the racing was great, but again, Clint Boyer in the booth, the overall broadcast by the Flow Racing Group. How much better is the experience online today with like a broadcast like that, you know, having Boyer and, Ben Shelton, and I think they had a J- Dustin Jarrett, right? How much better does that make your viewer um, happy online versus just a traditional play-by-play announcer? Um, I mean, I think announcers with knowledge definitely makes the entertainment value a lot better um, because – you know, if you're listening to a race and you have an announcer who's who doesn't know what what they're talking about, um, you tend to concentrate on what they're saying and now what's going on on the track because it's like, and then you start getting angry at at the person because it's like that's not no, that's not accurate. <laughs> very true, very true. So I thought that was pretty good. Um, Taswell seemed like a pretty tough place to pass, but they're up on the wheel. Hey, hats off. Ricky Weiss had a hell of a run. He actually got inside Madden a couple times here in lap traffic, put some pressure on him. Madden again, got her done, but really good to see Ricky Weiss with a podium finish over at Taswell. Yeah. And also at Taswell, uh, I'm not sure. I didn't see the heat races, but uh, Superman had to take a provisional and he started 27th, but he was up to, he was up to 11th within the first 20 laps of the race and wound up finishing eighth. Um, and then did you uh, see that car catch on, the engine catch on fire? I did. I did. Where's this, and I'm thinking, where's the safety person now with the fire extinguisher? I actually went back, replayed it, and counted how long it took somebody to get there. And it took like 15 seconds for somebody to get there with a the fire extinguisher. Which 15 seconds seems like a lot of time, but at a dirt track when you're not expecting it, I'll cut them some slack on that. I, I've seen a lot worse than that, so I'll cut them some slack, but thankfully he was okay, but I don't know what happened an oil line or blew up or, or what exactly happened. And then in Florence was highly entertaining, so 
So dirt late model fans, if you haven't watched dirt late model racing at Florence Speedway, just keep an eye out on their schedule. When they got these 5,000, 10,000 a win shows, I know that Lucas Oil goes there. I'm telling you, that place does not disappoint. That is a hell of a fun racetrack to watch racing at. And the local kid there, Josh Rice, I mean, he won the Lucas race there, what, last year, year before? Last year, I think it was, right? Did he win it there? Well, did he win it or did he get, or was it the year before? He won a big one there. Okay. All right. I, I know he got, I think it was him who got inched out by inches by Earl Pearson Jr. one year. That was two years ago. Okay. Yeah. okay. I think he won it this past year. I could be wrong. Okay. But he did. But Josh Rice is impressive at that place. I mean, Bobby Pierce, he gave it the old college try. He had the lead. Rice got by him. Bobby Pierce, uh, Rice missed his mark. He actually went to pass a lapper and slid him. And then if you slide him wrong and you don't make it all the way back to the grip, you're pedaling like crazy coming off the corner. Pierce swallowed him up, chucked a slider in the next corner and missed, picked up a push. And there goes Josh Rice, game over, race is done. But pretty cool for the local kid up there. Not, a, I don't think he's got a, you know, he doesn't have like a Brandon Shepard budget. I think he's got a pretty good budget though because it was a brand new car out there. So he has multiple cars. So I don't think he's really hurt that bad, but it's kind of fun to watch that kid. And I'd like to see a little bit more of him. Did you, uh, well, two things. Uh, and what was surprising that the race was being, that the race was good was that it was a day race. Um, and did you see uh, B Shep race in the 81 car? I did see that. Do you know the backstory on that? I, I don't know the backstory on that because I was watching it and then it, you're 81 Brandon Shepard. Wait, what? <laughs> well, I, I heard some rumors. And at this point, again, this is rumors. This is, this, these are rumors that I heard. So remember we talked in the off season about B Shep possibly being done with rocket one, right? Well, I was told by a couple different sources that that would have been the case but he still had another year on his contract and he couldn't get out of the contract. That's what I was told. I don't know if that's true or not, but everything that I keep hearing right now, I keep hearing a little banter in a couple different areas that this could be definitely the last year for him in rocket one and maybe going back to the family team in uh, 2023. So keep well, an eye on Brandon Shepard. And I mean, this is just, you know, me thinking out loud, but you know, with all these big money races, it's got to just eat him to, well, like this coming weekend, for example, there's a 25,000 to win and a $50,000 to win race, but he's got to go to outlaw shows that pay 10 and 15,000 a piece. <laughs> yep. Yeah. That, that is a very interesting point right there, especially a guy that that's what he does for a living. He gets paid a percentage. Well, I'm here to tell you that a percentage of 50,000 is better than the same percentage of 15,000. I'm not, I'm not a math major, but just kind of a hunch. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about the points, right? In the world of outlaws right now, we've got a couple races this weekend. Dennis Earth Jr., a 30 point lead over Brandon Shepard that we're talking about. But another guy that's sleeping in this one, keep an eye on this guy, Max Blair. He's only 38 points back. So 38 points separating the top three in the world of outlaws. I, I like them tight battles. I know it's early. Hopefully it stays tight. In the Lucas Oil points, Brandon Shepard, 15 points ahead of Devin Moran. Turbo's in third, 95 points back. T-Mac is fourth, 120 back. Who's leading the points in the Lucas Oil? 
You just said Shepard's leading the points. Who's really leading the points in the Lucas Oil? Well, this. Oh well, Moran's not following it, so it'd be Herb. Correct, right? <laughs> so that's an interesting deal, right there. If you think about it, Turbo's only 25 points ahead of T-Mac. I don't see B-Chef and Moran. I mean, it sounds like they're not, I mean, running Lucas Oil. So Tyler Herb right now, kind of, if you look at it that way, could be considered the point leader in the Lucas Oil points. But T-Mac is right on his heels, 25 points back. So could be kind of an interesting deal. So it'll be kind of fun to watch. Now, World of Outlaw Sprint Car, they had a little action this past weekend as well. They went to the Federated Auto Parts I-55 Speedway in Keevely. Night one rained out. They had a, a monsoon, and they had a marathon race for Saturday. It was a marathon yeah, well, all uh, night. The, the track had a little bit of character to it. <laughs> it did. But, you know, again, tip of the cap to them for getting it in, because from what I understand, Thursday, I believe it was Thursday, they had three inches of rain. Well, we all know what three inches of rain does to a racetrack right and then they couldn't get it in plus it's a little bit cold and so they fought that all day saturday they had i mean it was it was pretty aggressive racetrack out there sheldon hoddenschild parked or parked it upside down and i actually had just texted uh Krauss. me and him were texting back and forth on hey who do you got and he's like i got i got sheldon i'm like he's gonna roll over literally like two laps later upside down. i'm like see i think it was on a restart but here's the deal Bert, what impresses me with the world of Outlaw Sprints, their their pit crews are NASCAR crews. He came in front axle broke spoiler. I mean, the car's in pieces, right? And he they literally had him back out there on that same restart, basically rebuilt the whole car. Ultra impressive on how fast they get that car out. And he came from dead last after rolling over up into the top five, finished fourth. So uh, Buggy Bobby uh, on, on the pump, Sheldon Hottenschild, he was fun. Macedo, he got it done. Logan Schuhart had a chance there at the end, but he didn't chuck a slider. He did, you know, he got to him, but didn't do nothing with them. Brad Sweet got third. Um, what stuck out to you from I-55? Uh, well, um, like I said, the track had character. And I mean, um, also I had the same impression about uh, – the pit crew of uh, Hoddenschild uh, being able to get that car repaired and get him back out there and stay on the lead lap and, you know, still get a, a really good finish. Um, well, later in the race, he bounced off another car. I, I can't remember exactly what happened, but uh, he right. bounced off another car late, later <laughs> in the race. And, uh, but no, I mean, we've talked about this before, but it just impresses me with the sprint cars when it seems like they're so far back, they don't have a chance to catch the car ahead of them, but they just have, have the, they're able to make up that ground is, is just incredible. Yeah, it really is. And he's fun to watch. You put a little character on the track. He's going to put on a show. He's worth the price of admission. Kind of like, like we said, we call him buggy Bobby because he reminds me of Bobby Pierce. Bobby Pierce is hella fun to watch. He might rip the quarter panel off, yard sale somebody, drive over somebody, destroy stuff, but he's always going to be on the pump. That's Sheldon Hoddenschild in the world of outlaw. The points battle there, again, we're only in April. Got a lot of racing left to do, but she's pretty tight. The big cat, Brad Sweet, he's in first. Carson Macedo, David Gravel, both 48 points back, tied for second. 
in uh, Buggy Bobby himself, Sheldon Oddenchild, 72 points back. So still a fairly tight point race there, anybody's game. And I just hope it stays that way. I love them points battles. So, Bert, let's jump into now a little bit of who's hot and who's not, brought to you by Blue Line Brews. So, coffee drinkers out there in the world, if you like coffee, bluelinebrews.com. They got several different blends. They got the K-Cups and a portion of their proceeds go to the um, family of injured officers, family of fallen officers. So they do a lot for the people that serve us, serve our serve our communities. So a big thanks to Blue Line Brews. Check them out. They got a lot of great blends. And if you ordered some, put in the comments below what your favorite blend was and uh, tag them in it so they can see that you got some. So, Bert, who's hot? Um. I have two drivers here in mind. Um, I'm going to say my driver, though, I am going with Black Sunshine as 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 who's hot. Um, <laughs> I mean, he got a podium finish at Bristol and you thought, well, that's just the product of it, of Bristol racing. Well, you said you're going to go first this week. I know. I know. I should have. <laughs> and uh, but I mean, he's backed it up. He got a third at Volunteer and a fourth at Taswell. So uh, maybe we'll be seeing him in victory lane sometime this year. I mean, after his impressive couple of weeks of racing, I mean, dirt late model racing is better if Scott Bloom, Bloomquist is competitive. <laughs> I 100% agree. And that's who I had. He had the one rough night to start. He's got a second, sixth, fourth, third, and fourth. He's been in contention. He's been there. He's putting himself in good position. Bert, he's poised to win some races this year. And in only in April, he's looking good. He's competitive. He's there. Over and under overall. And we got to remember, he's running a fairly limited schedule, right? He's kind of running the money shows. Over and under three wins for black sunshine i'm gonna take the under i'm not gonna get uh uh too crazy here so i'm gonna take the under i think he's gonna get a win maybe two but i'll take the under on three i have a feeling he's gonna be over i, I just i got a sneaky feeling that when the millions on the line right that he's gonna be a player in that I mean, he is, he's done some amazing things at that racetrack and he's good on that half mile stuff. I'm telling you, it, it's going to be fun to see if he can, if he can get some of these big shows. If he would win the million, that would be the story of the year. That would absolutely be, that'd be a good way for him to ride off into the sun <laughs> for sure. You said you have one more. Who else do you got? Um, yeah, I'm going to go with, uh, just because, you know, he's not, uh, um, a national driver, so to speak, but uh, Ross Bales. Uh, th this past week, he got a seventh at Volunteer, a fourth at, at Wythe, and a seventh at Taswell after he pitted during the middle of the race and battled back to seventh. So, uh, I mean, seventh, fourth, seventh doesn't sound too impressive, but, I mean, the competition for those races were really, really good, and those finishes are really good for a regional racer. And at Taswell, he was in the top five. Right. He was running third or fourth when he broke and had to pick. Right. He drove by Davenport, right? Because Davenport yep. came from the back, and he, he came from the back and passed Davenport. So you're, you're right on. So on who's not, 
Speaking of Davenport, I'm gonna I'm gonna go there. I'm gonna take Jonathan Davenport. Bert, I'm going first, just in case you had him. <laughs> um, 14 shows this year, and it's not like he's been terrible, right? He got second, probably should have won. He's kicking himself. He should have won it with. Um, and he was pretty quick at Taswell. He, I think he got together with a with a lapper in the heat race and running second, and that's what caused that issue. At okay. Taswell. But uh, his last win, November 12th of last year, uh, the XR race over in Vegas. So winless, I did you think we'd be midway through April and we'd be saying Jonathan Davenport will not have a win yet? Did you see that coming? No, I didn't see that coming. And matter of fact, I was watching um, the race that he was leading and the announcer said, you know, that. Davenport could be winning his first race of the year. And I think that's not right. That can't be right. <laughs> He's won already this year, but okay. I guess he hasn't. Right? That was in November when that, when that took place. And who do you have on who's not? Um, I forgot to write down a driver, but I'll just go with uh, Donnie shots just because I haven't heard his name recently. Um, and um, so I'll just go with him. He had a couple podiums in a row. Um, second, I think at second or third at Vado, and he had another one in there. But yeah, he is he's just kind of on the outside looking in. He's not he's not quite there. So let's jump into now our sure bets of the week. And of course, my lock of the week, my sure bet always, Jay Schmidt Real Estate out in Watertown, South Dakota. Um, 20 years track yet, 21 years now in, in business, racing family. Um, super big racing family at the Casino Speedway in the South Dakota region. But if you need land, if you need residential, commercial, real estate transactions in the South Dakota area, specifically around Watertown, give Jay Schmidt Real Estate a chance. Give him a call. He'll do the best he can to help you out. He's been helping a lot of people. So thanks a lot, Jay Schmidt Real Estate. He's our lock of the week. So Bert, what is your sure bet of the week? I'm going to go with uh, B-Shep wins at least one of the outlaw races this weekend. B-Shep wins one of the outlaw races. I'm glad you picked him. I, me and Jeff got Moraine. So, well, uh, we're going to go. We're going to go with that. We're going to go with the mailman. <laughs> um, I'm going to go my lock of the week is Jonathan Davenport is going to get his first win of the year. Now, I'm just saying, Bert, two in a row, right? Two in a row. Last week I had it right. This week I said Madden's going to win one. He did. Jonathan Davenport's going to make it three in a row for me on my lock of the week. He is going to win one of the two races down at Alltech. He's due and he runs good. Well, well I, I didn't pick him for any of them. So he probably will win. <laughs> Perfect. I did. Right. So I, I picked him and he's my lock of the week because I'm that confident Superman is going to do Superman things down in Florida. So, the last lap bird brought to you by Zuli's Race Engines. And uh, that time of the year, Mother Nature helping them out. They got a lot of engines getting built. Why? Because they win races. That's what they do. Go to Zuli's Race Engines on Facebook. Just kind of follow along. They do a great job posting all the wins that their drivers get. Series wins, championships, feature wins, you name it. They're super hands-on with their drivers. Build a great product. And they can build about anything you need. So Zuli's Race Engines bringing us the last lap. So, Bert, 
we're almost to the end of April. We're almost at, nothing has happened up here for racing yet. Maybe some snowmobile stuff. I don't know. No, no dirt track stuff. Is there any racing coming up on your end of the world here uh, in Eastern Wisconsin on that's supposed to happen this weekend? Well, there's uh, several, there's a few tracks that are um, scheduled to open this coming weekend. Um, I don't know if that's going to happen though. Um, I Which would say, track, pro- you know? well, Shano is supposed to open, the Dirt Kings are supposed to open their season at Shano. Um, I mean, that was supposed to start last weekend, but the, the makeup date is this coming weekend. Um, but I mean, I would say probably three out of the last five mornings, there's been snow on the ground when I, when I woke up and uh, we're supposed to get rain on Wednesday. I mean, Saturday is supposed to be in the 70s. So, I mean, that, that's, good, that's good. But I don't know if, I mean, just being nice on race day isn't enough. You have to have, you know, the track has to be in good enough condition. And I, I don't know what the condition of the tracks are. Uh, Shano added clay to their track over the off season. So you had to really be careful with that. Right, <laughs> right. Um, well, so again, This time of year, I mean, 20 years ago, 25 years ago, when I was all in on racing, I'm like, who gives a crap? Let's go race. Let's get her done. Wisdom has kind of took over a little bit. And I'm like, you know what? If, if we got to push it back, we push it back. Like everybody's gone home. Everybody wants to go racing, but they don't want to tear their stuff up for sure. Tire wow. shortages. I guess it, it is. There's supposed to be a bunch of Wasota tracks. I think, I think Mississippi Thunder, maybe. Are they supposed to open this weekend too? Possibly. I know Cedar Lake is supposed to. Well, I think Red Cedar is supposed to open Red on Friday. Cedar's supposed to open up, yeah. So we'll see what Mother Nature does. There's some rain in the forecast. Like you said, a little warmer temperatures on Saturday. We'll knock on wood. Hopefully everything works out. We all want to get back to racing, but we want to get back to racing on good racing surfaces that aren't well. And, and when there's cancellations like this, then it kind of gets into – sometimes tracks think well if we open and the other ones close we're going to get all these cars to come we're it's we're going to be making all this money but then you know if if the track's not in good shape then everybody just gets angry and <laughs> yeah be careful what you wish for right That's all i can say so on <laughs> um, xr making some noise again bert Barry Braun making some noise. He had a big announcement at, of course, he had the Bristol Dirt Nationals. They got the XR Super Series, all kinds of stuff going on. What was the big announcement that he had over at the Bristol NASCAR race? Well, I mean, uh, North Wilkesboro is not a track that NASCAR races on anymore, but they have in the past, and it has a storied history behind it. And they're going to add to that history and they're going to throw some dirt on that track uh, before they, re- I guess the track is going to get repaved with asphalt then after that. I think that, yeah, I think that's right. No, I, I don't think they've raced for a number of years. They don't race at all there, right? Correct, they correct, they for, correct. I saw them drive around the track and it's pretty chewed up and all that. Right. Yeah, they have, but, I don't know when the last time that they raced. Now, see, my favorite NASCAR driver from back in the day, Rusty Wallace, he was very good at North Wilkesboro. There you go. There you go. Now, it's a big track for, not for NASCAR, small for NASCAR, but it's it's a 5 a mile track, 0.625. So, 
we thought Bristol was big. This, this I think, is a little bit bigger than Bristol, though flatter, right? Not as much banking. It'll, I mean, it's, it seems narrow to me because they got a wall on the inside, a wall on the outside. I don't know. I mean, I we saw the I, I've seen late model races on the big, big racetracks, and I'm not all that terribly excited. I mean, it's kind of cool that he's doing stuff, but man, I, I, I'm skeptical. I'll be honest with you. I just North Carolina doesn't get the best turnout of anything for dirt racing really i mean charlotte does at the end of the year but it'll be interesting to see so they got if you go to uh racetrack revival type that in on facebook or xr they got a full schedule of events out there and they got i mean it looks like the whole what, month of august and then some stuff you know through october i mean so they got a lot of stuff they got planned there it's not just like a one-off deal it's like a whole lot of racing i'm not sure my thoughts on it but it was interesting to say the least. So Bert, another thing, uh, our picks, uh, Jeff uh, jumped out into the lead. He tried giving an extra point to Puka, which I'm not sure why, but uh, I have Jeff at 34 Puka at 33 Bert. I've caught you. We're both at 31. Now Mike is at 11 and uh, bad Brad on the board. He finally got his first point at one. And uh, this week, Bert, uh, we got six races that we're going to pick. The XR Super Series events, 25 and 50 grand to win, respectively, down at Alltech Friday and Saturday. Uh, the World of Outlaw Late Models, they got a double header at Atomic at Chillicothe, Ohio, 10,000 and 15,000 Friday, Saturday. And then the World of Outlaw Sprint Cars, Friday at uh, Tri, I think it's Tri City, Tri City Speedway at Granite City. One of them's Tri City and one of them's Tri State. But it's anyway, Granite City, Illinois, um, 10,000 to win on Friday. And then Hobstadt, Indiana, 10,000 to win on Saturday. So with that said, with that stuff going on, and again, knock on wood, there's supposed to be some local stuff happening. We'll see what happens. Bert, what are you most looking forward to this week? Well, obviously, if the local stuff starts that's what i'm looking forward to the most um it'd be nice to uh um hear the engines in person smell the race fuel in person um all the sights and sounds and smells of being at a racetrack yeah it, you're kind of cheating so <laughs> i don't know i i I'm not sure which one I'm looking for. I honestly, that last race they had at Alltech just uh, was it like a month ago. Maybe it was during speed weeks. It was phenomenal. It was slicked up top to bottom. Jimmy Owens got her done. It was actually a pretty darn good race. Um, so that was good. And the other, I, I, it's hard to say I'm looking forward to a half mile. That's a big racetrack down there. Um, the, the last race had Atomic didn't do it. You know, but Hobstadt is a track that's an up-on-the-wheel type of deal. Um, so I would have to say out of the ones online, Hobstadt, Saturday Night's World of Outlaw Sprint Car, I'm looking forward to that. But locally, I'm going to go with Cedar Lake. Um, yes, uh, let me ask you this. The Dirt Kings race at Shano, are they doing all their events on FYE.tv this year? Um, all their... I think they're on XR. Are they on XR? I believe so. Okay. Check on that. You can put in the postings. I know they're streamed. We can look at the Dirt Kings page and get that information, but you're probably right. That's your end of the world. So XR, 
I'm looking forward to that because I like that Dirt King series. But I'm going to go with Cedar Lake, just the history, you know, at the Cedar Lake Speedway. There'll be a lot of good cars down there. If Mother Nature cooperates, it could be really good. I'm looking forward to some local racing so we can talk about our local drivers, whether it's Eastern Wisconsin or the Wasota region or whatever. Don't get me wrong. I love these national guys, right? But I want to talk about our local drivers because we got some really good race car drivers in our areas too. And I'm looking forward to talking about them drivers um, coming up here. So Bert, episode 125. And one last thing, my, my buddy Lauren, he uh, just sent me a picture. He goes, hey, don't forget number 25, street stock driver, kind of add to the blast of the past, a little, little late to the party. But Tommy Boblitz, uh, he raced over in Proctor, Superior, um, I don't remember a lot about him, but Lauren can maybe post in the comments. Got a couple pictures here, but that's a good one right there. But Bert, episode 125 in the books. Got some racing coming up. Knock on wood that Mother Nature cooperates. Get rid of this white crap. Get rid of this, you know, precipitation. And let's just get racing. Hopefully everything can work out. and We can get off to a good season over here in, in our region in the upper Midwest. And uh, thanks for coming on the show as always. So, I'm Ryan Aho. That is the Burt Lehman. Thanks for tuning in to the One to Go Show. A production of Goat Sports Media, LLC.